Thank you very much for that introduction. As uh, was just said there, I was invited five years ago just to give three historical papers, and I thought that was it. But they said, come back next year, and I thought, that's it. They said, come back next year. Obviously, they're running out of funds and can't find anyone else who will speak. So I keep coming back. So if you raise your giving, you will find a better speaker, God willing, next year. I, I don't do PowerPoint, by the way. My wife and I have only just come into the 20th century, so, so the 21st century is totally out for me. I have photographs on some boards at the back. I found from my experience as a pastor that sometimes PowerPoint is lots of power but no point. <laughs> and sometimes lots of point but no power. So I have a collection at home of about 7,000 photographs. Uh, if it's dead, I photograph it. And uh, so I just pulled one or two from my collection and my wife's favorite quotation that if I sort of outlive her will go on the gravestone as she goes before me. It's why do we have to have a Saturday out that always involves one of your dead friends? <laughs> one of my dead friends is a man called Richard Weaver. We'll look at him tonight and then God willing tomorrow afternoon we'll look at a man who's very close to my heart, a man called Benjamin Ingham. And then we'll finish by looking at the Moravians. Where do we start? Something has happened to our country. There has been a distinct change in the spiritual realm. The good news of the gospel is now not looked on as bad news, but as dangerous. We are seen as men and women who are peddling something which is dangerous for our country. Every week within our country, nine and a half thousand people die and slip into eternity. That means when you do your maths, that means over half a million people in this country slip out of time and enter into eternity. And many of them go without understanding what the gospel is. Gospel churches and gospel people are very hard to find these days. But I want to look tonight at a man who was a gospel man and to show the networking he did and the people he influenced. And we'll just talk our way through his life. And when something significant happened, we'll go down a detour and say, look at that, or what about that person? And you know, by the end of our evening, you'll certainly feel that you understand who Richard Weaver really was. He was born in Astley in Shropshire in 1827, and he died in 1896. It was said this afternoon that we're going to be looking at one of these ancient evangelists. Well, he's not that ancient. He just missed the 20th century by four years. And he died quite young. And if he'd lived until his mid-70s, he'd have seen the 1904 Welsh Revival and would have been classed as the 20th century man. So he's not that far from us. Where is Astley? It's nine miles from Shrewsbury. How about this? I drove to Shrewsbury for you <laughs> to see if I could find anything about this man, Richard Weaver, because I know that's where he came from, all I came home with was a photograph of the sign saying, Astley. <coughs> My wife said, have we driven all this way just for this? <laughs> his parents were, were badly matched. His mother was a believer, and his father was an unbeliever. And they had four sons, and, and Richard was son number four. Son number three was killed tragically in a mining accident. They were all miners. And Richard Weaver's father was a classic sort of 19th century man, didn't believe in God, was a hard drinker, was a cursor, was a swearer, and was a very violent man. And Richard Weaver was brought up in a very, very violent home. 
At the age of seven, he started work and would uh, get up at half past four in the morning to go on the five o'clock shift down the mine. And so here's a seven-year-old boy working down a coal mine uh, at some ridiculous time in the day. He says later on in life, the only time I saw daylight as a young man was on Sunday. Because I went to work in the dark uh, and I came home in the dark. And you can imagine mining in those days. It was a dangerous occupation. Mormonism came to our country in 1837. And uh, when he was down the mine as a, as a young teenage boy, he was talking to a man who was mesmerized by Mormonism uh, and was saying to Richard Weaver, I long to go to America, to the home of Mormonism. And Richard Weaver said, as he was saying this to me, the roof of the pit where we were standing just dropped on him. And that was the last I saw of him. Talk about elderberry, that's elder squash. <laughs> and uh, that's the kind of world in which, okay, slow jokes. That's the, kind of, that's the kind of world that he lived in. And on one occasion, he said, Richard Weaver, I was, I was walking through the mine in the dark when I suddenly slipped and grabbed hold of a bar, only to discover I was hanging over a 300-foot shaft. And I was screaming there for someone to take hold of me and get me away from this kind of danger. That's, that's the kind of world in which he was living as a young boy. Things at home were, were very difficult. And his mother kept saying to him, Richard, I'm, uh, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. And he said to her, please, stop praying for me. I'm not interesting. On one occasion, he came home from work and found his mother on her knees for him, praying for him. He lifted her up. He shook her by the throat and said, don't ever let me catch you doing that again. That's the kind of man he was. In his early teenage years, because he was living with hard men and working down the mine, he turned to drinking and swearing and fighting and poaching. Guess what the next step was? I think I need to get confirmed. So he went to the local vicar, and, and the local vicar agreed, yes, this, this, uh, this man needs to be confirmed. So he, he found godparents who said they would bring him up in a spiritual way. After he'd been confirmed, he was stood on the church door with the vicar when he saw somebody he didn't like. So he flattened him in front of the vicar. Nothing had changed whatsoever. Here's a man who loved to fight. His father was a violent man. He was brought up in a violent home. He lived in a violent world. On one occasion, in one of his fighting bouts, he knocked the eye of a man clean out. Many years later, Richard Weaver was in prison, and he was sharing the gospel, and one of the prisoners came up to him who only had one eye. He said, Mr. Weaver, I am the man whom you blinded in this eye, but through your preaching tonight, you've opened both of my eyes. And he said, I hold nothing against you. He left home and he went to lodge with one of his brothers who was called John. He was illiterate at the time. He, he couldn't read, he couldn't write. But his mother kept writing to him, saying, Richard, I know you don't want me to hear that, you don't want to hear this, but I'm praying for you. Please, please think about the things of the Lord. Because he couldn't read, he handed a letter to a man who was a fellow drinker. And as this fellow drinker who could read began to read this man's mother's letters, he came to the Lord. <laughs> and said, Richard, this is wonderful stuff. You need to believe this. He said, it's not for me. And so he, he terminated the friendship. 
At the age of 24, he felt incredibly suicidal. You can imagine this life was aspiring out of control. He felt incredibly suicidal, and by now he was living in rented accommodation. He got out of a cutthroat razor to cut his throat, and he tried to leave some kind of farewell note on the floor where he was staying, but he couldn't write because he really he didn't know how to write, but he tried to scribble something. And as he put the knife to his throat, a voice said to him, Remember, your mother is praying for you. He says in his autobiography, I dropped the knife, I ran downstairs and said to the landlord, landlady, I was just about to take my life, but I think God has spoken. I quote her, Lord bless thee, lad. Thank God thou art alive. There's hope for thee yet. I think she spoke like that. <laughs> his brothers, his two surviving brothers, his the ones who are way above him in, in age, they had recently come to faith in Christ through the primitive Methodists. And, and uh, he, he sort of moved from one brother uh, and then to, to, to another brother in between stopping in lodgings. Uh, and he went to stop with George and his new wife, who both had become Christians. A child came, uh, and so uh, George's wife had to stop in in the evenings. But it was what you may call a house meeting. Uh, and George went, and he was greatly encouraged. When he came home, Richard Weaver was in bed. You can imagine a small little house, spare bedroom. He's in there. Uh, and George's wife said, what did the preacher preach about tonight? He said, he preached on the text, what then shall I do? But Richard overheard this. And he thought, what a strange text. What then shall I do? And he said, I laid in bed for the rest of the night thinking, yes, what shall I do? And if I die at work tomorrow, what shall I do? And so he didn't go into work the following day. Why? He tells us, I was afraid of dying in the pit. He took the next day off. On the third day, his brother George said, Richard, I'm going to call the doctor. He said, George, it's my heart that's sick. It's my heart that's sick. No doctor could put that right. In, in Welsh, there is an interesting expression, bulk argahoviad. It's, it's an expression which speaks of the chasm of conviction. This man entered the chasm of conviction, and no one could touch him for days. He wrestled and wrestled and wrestled. And in the end, at two o'clock in the morning, he got up and he went to a local sandpit. He got on his knees and said, Lord, I quit fighting. I am yours. And there and then, at two o'clock in the morning, Richard Weaver became a Christian. He got someone to write a letter to his mother to say he'd become a Christian. She was so over the moon, she knocked on every door in the village and said, Look, my Richard's got saved. <laughs> what an incredible mother. What wonderful news that must have been. News traveled fast that Richard Weaver had now become a Christian. And imagine living in the world he lived in a coal pit when this hard, swearing, cursing, violent man suddenly gets saved. And you go into the work the following day and say, gentlemen, my life has been changed. I've become a Christian. He said they weren't easy days. He said, but by the time I left the coal pit, just about every one of those 35 men had come to faith in Christ. 
On one occasion, he describes how he had a real burden for a man he was working with, and he was working on his own, as it were, and he was working further down the seam, and, and he just got on his knees and began to pray for this man and began to groan for him. This man downed his tools and ran down the kind of shaft and said, Is there a problem, Richard? He said, No, I'm just praying for you. And he said, I, I prayed my fellow colleague into the kingdom of God. Through his drinking and his gambling, he was in deep debt. And he said, before I go anywhere, I will work hard to pay off every penny that I owe everybody. And so he worked for still a number of years, carrying on in the pit to pay off all his debts. That deeply impressed people. Six months after becoming a Christian, he got involved in a fight. And obviously he was quite a decent fighter. He flattened the man. He felt he'd let the Lord down. He said, how can a man like me punch people if I claim I'm a Christian? And for six months he was in the doldrums. He went back to fighting and he went back to gambling and he went back to cursing. On one occasion he was in the ring on a Saturday night fighting a big black fighter. And he said, blood was coming down the face of this man that I was really hammering. And a voice said to me, Richard, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanseth thee from all unrighteousness. Get out of the ring. He said, in the middle of the fight, I took off my gloves. I went between the ropes. I went home. I got on my knees and said, Lord, thank you for that word. But I'm sorry I've let you down. He said, I never turn back from that moment as he began to get his life on a bit of an even keel he, he felt perhaps he needed a wife and so uh, he, he went looking for a girl he found her, he courted her but sadly she died so he went looking for another one and uh, eventually he found her and after 10 months uh, he got married and how about this a year later he then took his wife to see his parents to say, this is my new wife. And by the way, we got married a year ago. Uh, his mother was thrilled to see him. His father, who hadn't seen him for quite some time, was stunned at the change in his son. And not only did he introduce his new wife, Sarah, to his parents, but also he led his father to Christ. And that's what I went looking for, because I know his parents died and were buried in Astley, and I went to this small village in Shropshire and asked quite a few people, excuse me, uh, have you heard of Richard Weaver? Went into the local Anglican church. Have you heard of your most famous kind of citizen from this village? Who's that? Said Richard Weaver. Never heard of him. Oh, they better ask the vicar, they said, but we haven't got one. So I never did find out where his parents were buried. After getting married and, and, and settling down, he moved to Derbyshire to a place called New Mills. And while he was out walking one Saturday evening, he heard two men preaching the gospel. Who were they? Edward Usher and John Hamilton. Say, so who were they? You need to hear about these two men. John Hamilton was a Liverpudlian. Like Richard Weaver, his, his mother was a believer, but his father wasn't. He couldn't cope with his mother's pestering him. So he took drastic actions. He ran away to Australia. Now, that's pretty drastic as far as I'm concerned. He, he ran to Australia, and, and he was there for 17 years. 
While he was in Australia, he heard of the gold rush in California. And so he sailed from Australia to California to get involved in the gold rush and, and to do a bit of panning for gold himself in order to set up business. He saw life was cheap out there. He saw men murdered for little bits of gold. He said, what's all this about? And so totally disillusioned, he packed up. He came home from, from California. Just as in 1851, there was the Great Exhibition in Hyde Park. As he wandered around the Great Exhibition, he felt dead. He said, no, there's something missing in my heart. And out of sheer desperation, he went out and he bought a Bible. He read it and got converted. He came back to Liverpool and he bumped into a converted dockyard laborer called Edward Usher. Edward Usher had got converted in the, the dockyards of Liverpool and was praying for someone to work with him to reach Liverpoolians. And up came John Hambleton. You may never have heard of him, but through one of his evangelistic endeavors, there was a young man in the meeting who responded to the preaching of the gospel. You may have heard of him, Thomas Bernardo. And it was this man, John Hambleton, who led Thomas Bernardo to faith in Christ. These were the two men who just wandered out of Liverpool and were preaching in the Derbyshire area, around where Richard Weaver was living. They said to him, we've heard... There's a, a Liverpudlian evangelist coming round here to, to preach the, the gospel on Good Friday, 1856. Why don't you come with us? Richard Weaver said a crowd of 6,000 people turned up to hear this man, Reginald Radcliffe. He said, we waited. We waited. He didn't show up. He said, some bright person spotted me. And said, Mr. Weaver's here. He's a Christian. He'll give us a sermon. So he said, for the first time in my life, I stood up in public and addressed 6,000 people. <laughs> Staggeringly, quite a lot of people got converted. And then when he'd finished preaching, up came Reginald Ratcliffe. Johnny come lately. He said, that was a wonderful sermon. You preach really well. I'd like to work with you. And so Richard Weaver, in his spare time, for he was still mining to pay off his debts, began to work with Reginald Radcliffe. His, his, his photograph there is, is on the board. He's buried in Liverpool. He's buried a stone's throw from uh, the gentleman who wrote, Here is love vast as an ocean. Do you sing that one? Loving kindness as a flood? Yes. Well, he just buried a stone's throw from him. And the number of times I visited the grave of William Reese, unknown that behind my back was a man who led thousands to the Lord Jesus. But anyway, now I, now I just tip my hat and say, Reginald, sorry I missed you, but it's nice to see you again. <laughs> who was it? Reginald Radcliffe was a lawyer who got converted. And he had a real heart for souls. He was a, a very animated speaker, but a very eloquent speaker. He believed that non-Christians can take no more than 20 or 25 minutes uh, and his philosophy was, to put it in modern terms, when you've struck oil, stop boring. And uh, so he only preached about 25 minutes. He worked with people like Hudson Taylor. You've heard of Hudson Taylor? 
Hudson Terra worked with this man and said, he is a passionate evangelist. He said, I love working with him. He has a heart for souls. And when you're with this man, it's like being with a man who has walked out of the Acts of the Apostles. These two men, you could not get two more different men. Here's this coal miner, rough and ready, who could pack a good punch. And here's a lawyer. And they're working together. They did all the race courses. Wolverhampton, Chester, Liverpool. There was a race course in those days in Nutsford and, Wo- and different places. You can imagine how they were treated. Richard Weaver said, on a regular basis, we were thumped, we were knocked down, we were dragged with our hair, we were dragged with our feet. He said, working the races was hard work, but we dealt with real people. The big pull in those days was public executions. And the biggest public execution this country has ever known was of a gentleman called William Palmer. He lived in, uh, in Stafford, not far from here. He was called the Prince of Poisoners. He kind of loved to poison people. I'm glad you brought your own water. I feel nervous being around here. Anyway, the law caught up with him. And, and when it was announced he was going to be publicly hanged, 30,000 people turned up for his execution. 30,000. Front row tickets were £5. Anyway, Reginald Radcliffe and, and Richard Weaver went. They published 30,000 tracts. What was their tract? How about a punchy title? The End of the Law. They weren't around saying to people, you know, after this man has been hanged, he's going to be hanging on the end of the law. But the trouble is, he's dead. But Jesus is the end of the law. But the great thing is, is he's a resurrection that can give you resurrection life. Uh, and Richard Weaver says, when the execution took place, we turned away from it. But use the opportunity to tell people of the Lord Jesus Christ. What? What interesting men they were. So this is the kind of man he was networking with. Hudson Taylor, a man who led Thomas Bernardo to Christ, Reginald Ratcliffe. Then he had a call to go down to London. And by the way, when he got baptized, guess who baptized him? Mr. Spurgeon. Imagine having that certificate, eh? (laughs) Baptized by Mr. Spurgeon. Charles Hatton Spurgeon baptized 15,900 people. What biceps he would have. (laughs) Baptists are tough people. And and one of those 15,900 people that Mr. Spurgeon baptized was Mr. Weaver. Mr. Spurgeon valued the work that this man did. He went down to London because a man called William Carter said, come over and join us. He said, who on earth is William Carter? I'd never heard of William Carter. So I, I spent the year scurrying around, doing my research as I kind of do. And for those who are interested, is buried in Nunhead Cemetery. But his stone is just about virtually invisible these days. But he's well in glory. William Carter and his wife, Hesibar, were married for, for 25 years. He died at 48. He burnt himself out for Jesus in London. He wrote three books, and I've read one of them. The other two are virtually impossible to get hold of. The Power of God, The Power of Truth, and The Power of Grace. These books are just full of people's testimonies that he led to the Lord in inner city London. 
He and his wife had a life motto. You know how people have a, this is my life motto. How about this? Our object is to reach the lowest and most depraved people in London. And they did that for 25 years. He realized that people wouldn't come into church. So they hired theatres, music halls, wherever people would meet, that's where he went. Uh, and because he had no money, he used to write to rich Christians uh, and wealthy churches saying, look, I'm trying to reach the lost, I've got no money, would you like to help us, yes or no? If it's no, thank you very much. If it's yes, thank you very much. And that's how he survived. They held meetings for people who we would call totally unchurched. The meetings began with tea and scones, bread and butter and cakes. You could only come by invitation. An invitation was a ticket, a free ticket. And on every ticket was stamped these words, no person of good character will be admitted. <laughs> Why don't we try doing that in our day? <laughs> they had missions for chimney sweeps, potters, woodchoppers, costermongers, policemen, and the unemployed. They used to do midnight evangelism. How about this? They used to hand out tickets for, for midnight services of evangelism. Who for? Rogues, thieves, and vagabonds. <laughs> Imagine kind of looking at a person thinking, does this interest you? <laughs> he said up to 800 people would turn up to these evangelistic events at midnight in London. What did he do with the converts? He put them in 13 mission halls. And from that, the gospel kept sort of spilling out into the whole of London. Every Good Friday, William and Hefzibar Carter had a ministry day where people just testified how they came to the Lord. If you had come the year before, you couldn't give your testament. It was only people who had been saved that year. So often, so many people were standing up to say how they'd come to faith in Christ. They had to book the hall for Easter Monday. Just one after the other, saying, you know, and it wasn't a matter of, you know, we can't shut the man up, sit down. It was just one minute. Tell us how you came to Christ. What impact has it made on your family? A wonderful, wonderful kind of man. His wife set up meetings for women, and she said that on a weekly basis in London, we were reaching 2,000 women. And she said at the peak of God really blessing this work, then anything up to 30 to 40 women a week were coming to faith in Christ through ladies' meetings. You can imagine the network that this could experience throughout the whole of London is incredible. Upturned Richard Weaver. This, this rough, kind of rugged, converted coal miner. What a character stand to speak to rogues and vagabonds and thieves and chimney sweeps and costermongers. Richard Weaver said he'd never seen such wild people in his entire life. <laughs> he said it was unbelievable. And uh, he said trying to get these, these kind of chimney sweeps to be quiet, because don't forget, there were generally small children who were sent up chimneys. He said trying to get them to be quiet with all this cake and tea and, and warmth was almost impossible and he said you know they were stuffing it in their pockets putting it under their coats because they were hungry children he said but then suddenly he said the presence of God would come 
He said, by the end of the evening, I had prayed for so many of these that I went home filthy, covered in soot, through these people coming and saying, Mr. Carter, Mr. Weaver, would you please pray for me? Uh, and Richard Weaver was involved in that kind of stuff. When he paid off all his debts, he felt called of God to be an evangelist full time. He said, as a coal miner, I could earn three pound a week. He said, as an evangelist, it came nowhere near that. He was often advertised as the mad collier. And don't forget, in those days, they had no radio, no television. The average person in the street would not read a newspaper. So the mad collier would almost be a kind of a plus. You've got to go and hear this, this mad collier preach. He was arrested several times. On one time, he was arrested for singing in the street. You know, singing hymns loud at night. So he was banged in a cell. So the church heard he'd been banged in a cell. So they all came out of the police station and started singing all night. <laughs> the inspector couldn't take any more of this. And said, get that man out. And like the apostle Paul, he said, no, you put me in. You put me out and tell people I am not guilty. Just don't throw me out. You can imagine the kind of scene that caused. By morning, he'd been declared not guilty, and the inspector got on his knees and yielded to Christ. What an incredible man, but what a wonderful, wonderful gospel. On one occasion, he was traveling in the north of England on a train, and he was in a carriage with some, with some navvies who were cursing and swearing almost every other word. And there was a very well-respectable lady in the carriage. Richard Weaver was there. He said, gentlemen, the man that you're speaking about is my father, so I'd appreciate it if you refrained. It just so happened that the lady and Richard Weaver, unknown to each other, got off at the same platform. As they were walking to the exit of the railway station, she said, excuse me, sir, can I ask you a question? Are you Richard Weaver? He said, Madam, I am. Why do you ask? She said, I must tell you an incredible story. She said, I am married to a converted man. But before he was converted, he was a beast. He was a horrible man. We have four children. He was sent to prison. When he came out of prison, he was worse than when he went in. He was so low that on one occasion, he was walking down the street and saw a meeting advertised, the Mad Collier, Richard Weaver. He thought, I work with a Richard Weaver. I'll go and hear that madman. He went, heard you preach, and was converted. But we didn't know this, she said. He came home. He came in through the front door and said to me, get all the children from their beds downstairs in front of the fire. She said, I thought we're in for the hiding of our lives. She said, I stood there trembling with my four children. And he said, he went to every child and said, I am so sorry. I have been a despicable father to you. And then he came to me and said, for the first time in your life, tonight you have got a husband. And I am so sorry. Wow. She said, Mr. Weaver, I've never met you before, but you have changed our lives. That's the kind of man he was. He went to Scotland on a regular basis and, and up there used to hire theatres and halls and such like things. When he was preaching in Edinburgh, again he was gathering around 30,000 people in the parks as they came to hear him preach. Duncan Matheson, 
if you know anything about Scottish evangelism, Duncan Matheson was, was an incredible uh, Scottish evangelist. And I just throw these kind of things in. They won't change your life much. He's, he's buried in the same cemetery as the man who gave his name to the Dudless Fir. So next time you see the Dudless Fir, you go, oh, yeah, Duncan Matheson. What a great evangelist he was. Duncan, <laughs> Duncan Matheson... Duncan Matheson heard Richard Weaver preach and said, I have never heard a man preach like this before. His winsomeness, the way he uplifts Christ, it's unbelievable. He threw his weight behind Richard Weaver. And at one of the public meetings that Richard Weaver held up in Glasgow, guess who was on the stage chairing the meeting? Sir James Simpson, the Queen's physician. The man who discovered that, that, that the chloroform is, is a great anesthetic and certainly helps you. And I think I've told you before that when he first used anesthetic on a lady giving birth, I think I said this in one of my lectures, she was so cock a hoop because she didn't feel it that when she gave birth to her daughter, she called her anesthetic. Thank God she wasn't called WD-40. <laughs> so here's, 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 you know, uh, uh, Sir James uh, Young Simpson, the Queen's physician, a man right up in the medical world with a rough man like Richard Weaver saying, I endorse what this man is saying. He then went over to, to Ireland and was incredibly successful in Ireland. And he was very reliant on a man called Henry Bewley. And you'll see photographs of Bewley on the board. Henry Bewley was a, was a Plymouth brother, incredibly rich, who put lots of his money into books and into tracts, and also into building Marion Hall. Marion Hall was the largest Brethren Assembly ever in this part of the world. It seated 2,500 people. And uh, sadly now it's a hotel. It's one of those kind of hotels that you walk in, but they don't know that you can't afford to stop there. But you just kind of look around going, this is very, very nice. And a very, very expensive uh, upmarket hotel. That was filled with 2,500 people in those days. And when Richard Weaver went there, it was on the back of the 1859 revival. And people like Bernardo preached there, Henry Grattan Guinness, George Muller, and, and people like Richard Weaver. Incredible, incredible man. He thought he'd better go and see his mother for the third time since getting married. People lived different lives in those days. Maybe you think that would be idyllic. I don't know. <laughs> Just seeing the in-laws three times in your married life. I don't know. He went to see his mother with his wife, and, and not long after she, she died. Then the Americans got to hear of him. What did they say? Come over and help us. No. Quote, come over and we'll give you thousands of dollars and pay all your expenses. He was very biblical in his reply. Your money, sh your money perish with you. Which literally translates from the Greek in the Acts of the Apostles. Peter said, you're to hell with your money. We don't want your money. You can't buy the gospel like that. So he never went to America. Forgive me for saying this, and we have Americans here. Thank God he stayed here. This country needs people like this. And so he stayed here for the rest of his life. Wherever he went, he, he just had a heart for lost people. He went back to London again. Why is that? Because many soldiers have been killed in the Crimean War, leaving lots of children, young people, broken families. He had a mission for the victims of the Crimean War. 
preaching Christ and, and, and offering them hope and, and eternal salvation. In Scotland, there was a man, maybe you've never heard of him, called Mr. Quarrier. Mr. Quarrier was the Scottish George Muller. And uh, just north of Scotland, there is a village called Quarrier, and the homes are still there. He was an incredible man. He said to, to Richard Weaver, would you come to Scotland again? We love you up here, and I'll, I'll support you in all your missions. So he was going around into prisons, out of prisons. Wherever he could go, he went. His final meeting was in Glasgow at Canongate. They got permission from the city to build a platform to hold a service in the evening. At 9 o'clock in the morning, there were 5,000 waiting for him. By the time 6 o'clock came, there were 20,000 people in Glasgow at Canongate to hear Richard Weaver preach the gospel. You can't live like this forever. You burn the candle at both ends. And he realized this was, this was destroying his body. He couldn't keep going at this rate. And so he took on a mission in Prescott in Manchester. And, and uh, he stayed there for a number of years saying, no, I've got to stop in one place. What is interesting is this. He lived next door to a public house. And people who had led to the Lord out of the world of drink, he said, every Saturday night, you come to the wife of Sarah, to the house of Sarah and myself, you come here to escape the temptation of drink. Can you imagine being a landlord next to Richard Weaver? <laughs> More people were going into Richard Weaver's than into the pub. And then they would have him singing times and praying times and preaching times, banging on the wall, shut up! <laughs> Incredible man. He, he did a terrific work in Prescott. But he had this itch, but I've got to get on the road again. It was in him. And so he went on the road again, which, which at one level was, uh, was, was pretty, pretty drastic, really. His body was not up to it. There was anointing upon him. People who came to oppose him and shout him down, not all the time, but sometimes you would say, if you carry on doing that, you'll be dead in 24 hours. Stop it. And if you read through his, uh, his biography and, and different works about him, several times that actually happened. A landlord said he's tired of his kind of preaching because you're robbing me of all my clientele. He said, carry on speaking like that. Not only will your business close, you will close. Many of his converts were simple people. Because those were the kind of people that he went for. And uh, whenever he held a mission, it's interesting, after a mission, lots of racing dogs went up for sale. And pigeons, people saying, we've no time now for pigeons and for dogs. We want to commit ourselves to the Lord. And lots of people who were living together asked, could they get married? It's almost like the Acts of the Apostles, isn't it? Where we read that they got all their books together uh, and they burnt them. Physically, he suffered with epilepsy. And when he had a fit, so we're told, it would take up to five strong men to hold him down. And gradually, things became a little worse. So in the end, he said, I've got to stop going on the road. I will work in a mission in Oldham. And I love this. The mission was built by Butterworth and Murgatroyd. Isn't that a great Dickensian title? 
Butterworth and Murgatroyd of Glebe Mills built a mission and he was there for five years. He packed it every Sunday evening. One night he looked up as he was preaching. Who was on the back row? Dr. Tewitt Talmadge. He'd heard of him and had come to see who is this man that I hear is turning this country upside down. He also went down to London again and worked with a man called Fred Charrington. Have you heard of Charrington Bass Beer? You shouldn't have heard of it, but anyway, if you've heard of it, <laughs> I read about it once in a book. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Charrington, you know, part of the big brewery family, he, uh, on one occasion on a Saturday evening, he saw a man come out of a pub and knock his wife clean out. And he said, if that's what our beer does to family life, I want nothing to do with it. So he came out of the family business and committed his life to serving Christ. Richard Weaver worked with him. Sadly, his wife Sarah died. When she died, she had three things to say to him on his deathbed. Number one, please bury me in Ardwick Cemetery, Manchester. Number two, will you look after my niece? She's got no one to look after her. And number three, Richard, will you promise me that after I've gone you'll work harder for souls than you've ever done before. What could he say but yes? Now, I don't know how long I've been speaking, but I think probably it's long enough for you to listen to about this man. Let me just say one or two things. I begin to bring it to a close. When he was up in Scotland, a young 10-year-old boy went to hear him preach. This 10-year-old boy lived next door to the Livingstones. Have you heard of David Livingstone? You may have heard of him. This young man was so impressed by Richard Weaver preaching on John 3.16 that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. As a 10-year-old boy, he got down and said, If that preacher is true, would you save me, Fred Arnott? The man who lived next door to the Livingstons then became literally the spiritual successor of David Livingston in Africa. An incredible life story. And a brand new biography has been written by Ian Burness, published last year on the life of Frederick Arnott. You must read it. Wow. What an incredible man. Frederick Arnott went to a tribe in Africa where the chief said, the first white man I see, his head is going on that pole. And Frederick Arnott went there and kept his head on his shoulders. Richard Weaver led him to the Lord. In England at that time, there was a bare-nuttle fighter by the name of William Thompson. He's called Bendigo. And uh, he won every fight he was in. And also, if you go down to the Boxing Hall of Fame, there you will see William Thompson, Bendigo. He was the fighter in the country. His agent ran off with all his money and it gutted him. He turned to drink. His life just fell apart. He was in prison and out of prison after that. Because Richard Weaver loved a scrap, when he was preaching in Nottingham, he sent a note to William Thompson Bendigo and said, would you come and hear me preach? I love to watch you fight. Would you come and watch me fight? He refused. The next time he was in Nottingham, he said, would you please come and hear me preach? 
He came and he yielded to Christ. He then said to him, why don't you come and live with us? And so this bare-knuckled fighter came to live with Richard Weaver and, and showed him gentleness and showed him kindness. And uh, wherever Richard Weaver went, it's kind of almost like modern-day evangelism. He said, before I preach, I'm just going to interview Bendigo. Several years ago, how about this? Birmingham City Council flattened the cemetery where William Thompson was buried. Guess which tomb they left. You've guessed his tomb and his epitaph. In life, always brave, fighting like a lion. In death, like a lamb, tranquil in Zion. And if you go to Beeston today, just outside Nottingham, you'll find a plaque on the house where William Thompson, Bendigo, lived to say he was a prize fighter, but then became converted and then became an evangelist. How much longer Nottingham City Council will leave that there is a mystery, but it's there. And for me, I must close with this. He led Henry Moorhouse to the Lord. You've never heard of Henry Moorhouse? Listen, Roger and myself, through a strange set of circumstances, got hold of Henry Moorhouse's gravestone. It was in our garage for three months. I can't explain this, but it's been the best year for my fruit and veg ever. <laughs> Almost like the Ark of the Covenant in the home of Oak. I told my neighbours about it. I said, I've got the gravestone of Richard, of Henry Moorhouse. She said, who's that? I said, come in. So they came into the garage and had a look. Oh, she said, that's interesting. Henry Moorhouse was the man who said to D.L. Moody, if I come to Chicago, will you let me preach? Moorhouse was only kind of a slip of the boy, and Moody thought, there's no way you'll ever come to Chicago. Sure enough, later in the year, he knocked on Dale Moody's door and said, remember me? And he's the man who's known as the man who moved millions. How was he converted? Henry Moorhouse liked to fight. And Richard Weaver was preaching in the Alhambra Palace in Manchester. And when Henry Moorhouse was walking past, he thought it was a fight. He went in. And as he went in, Richard Weaver just said, Jesus. Henry Moorhouse said, that word punched into my soul and knocked me out. And isn't it amazing, through a strange set of circumstances, that I happened to get hold of the grave of Henry Moorhouse. And there it stands in our churchyard, and every Sunday we go and we just touch the stone. <laughs> It's a great privilege to think, wow, this man who influenced Dale Moody was led to faith in Christ by a rough and ready mad collier from Astley. He died. He remarried again. He didn't live much longer after that. In the end, he could only preach 13 weeks a year. He was worn out. Uh, and sadly, he died on Easter Sunday. Not sad about that. But, but he died on Easter Sunday, the 5th of April, 1896. If you go to Ardwick Cemetery today in Manchester, 
It doesn't exist. Manchester City Council thought, we need to get rid of this. But if you go to the entrance of where the cemetery used to be, you'll find a plaque. It says, buried here is John Dalton, brackets, scientist, Sir Thomas Potter, Manchester's first mayor, Ernest Jones, chartist, and Robert Hawthorne, VC. There is nothing about Richard Weaver and the man just buried a few stones from him, Henry Morehouse. But the Lord knows both. How interesting. Not one person said they'd heard of Henry Weaver. You've heard of him now. What an incredible man. Let's just pray together.